The Trap is the title of this morning's message. We're in a series called The Quest, and in this series called The Quest, we're in a pursuit for the glory or the presence of God to show up in an amazing way that we've never experienced before. Amen? And so I want in this series, The Quest, the glory of God to show up. Why? Because we believe and we become interactive with the Word of God. And in this series, The Quest, we're going on a pursuit for His glory. And so we got to begin to start asking ourselves with a question as we go on this quest. The question that we must begin to ask ourselves is this. On this quest, if the, if the glory of God is not measurable in our lives outside of the expression of a worship service, we must begin to ask ourselves, are we really pursuing the presence of God in our life? If the glory of God or the presence of God is not measurable in our personal, individual, one-on-one daily lives outside of the expression of our corporate worship service, something's got to change. Amen? We'll never be able to see the glory of God show up in our workplace if there's no measurable expression of the presence of glory of God in us, in our workplace. And so we got to ask ourselves that question. And if the answer to that is no, I never see the presence of the glory of God show up in my personal life outside of a worship service, we've got to change something as believers. Because the Bible says, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. We all just said, we believe More than just a Sunday morning 8.30 worship service, amen. We believe it. We believe it on Monday. Come on. We believe it on Wednesday when it may not be so good, amen. We believe it on Friday when we're celebrating and walking out the door, amen. Come on. And so if we believe, we will see the glory of God. And we got to begin to ask ourselves this question. Is my passion for his presence or his glory measurable outside of the expression of a worship service? And as we go on this quest, we're going on this quest for a specific reason. Every time the glory of God showed up in the Bible, it was for one purpose. It was to set captive people free. Come on. So when we go on this quest for the glory of God here at TWBC, and his glory does show up, and it is showing up right here, right now in this place, as his glory shows up, people are going to be set free. Come on now. People are going to be delivered. And it may not look normal to you, because a lot of times in churches we've never seen the glory of God. And so we must begin to embrace what it looks like, even if it's never looked like this before. Because if we pray God do something in our time, in our day, that's never been done before, it's got to look different than it's ever looked before. You can't pray God for God to do something completely different, and you go about it the same approach. So we must begin to uh, believe God that his glory is going to show up. But when it begins to show up and manifest, it's for the setting of his people free so they can encounter him in a new way. And this is the mandate we've got from God in Isaiah 61 verse 4. It says, they shall repair, which means redeem or make new the ruined cities and redeem and make new the devastation of generations. After the events of this past week, how many of you know we need a redeemed devastation of generations? Amen. We need a redeeming of generations, not just the next generation, but our generation and the generation that's ahead of you and even probably the generation that's gone on before you. We need to see them redeemed and made new because it ain't working. (laughs) And if you have any questions about it working, (laughs) watch the news for any length of time. You'll realize it ain't working. And so God gave us a mandate as the church. God believes in us. Come on. God has faith in us. Come on. God says you can do it. Come on. He says it's your job, TWBC, to redeem or make new a ruined sulfur springs and redeem and make new the devastation of the generations that you come in contact with. It's time for us to rise and be the church that embraces his glory 
And that's why we're on this quest. To see the glory of God that we've never experienced before. And I'm going to encourage you that this quest is not for the faint of heart. We cannot stop pressing forward because of fear of what we do not know and knowledge that we do not have. We cannot stop because God begins to do something different because of fear of what we do not know and knowledge of what we do not have. Many great movements of God have been halted because we don't know what he's doing and fear of what we do not know and knowledge that we do not have has prevented us from embracing the power of God moving forward and, 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 and it stopped us from embracing a movement forward because we've stepped back and said, let's just hold up a little bit. This is where we must embrace who the comforter is, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is in our life. He said, he will show you, Joel, things to come. So when I start doing something you've never seen, the Holy Spirit's going to show you things to come so you can keep walking in step with me. And we can walk this thing out together. So we, got, we have got to begin to embrace things of God, and we cannot let fear of what we do not know and knowledge that we do not have keep us from walking in the presence of God. So this is not for the faint of heart. If you want a, if you want a country club Christian atmosphere, this is not the place. I'm just telling you, I'm not going to embrace a country club lifestyle in the church. Because Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Uh, that, that doesn't sound like country club life to me. And so we must begin to step into this new realm of his glory that we've never experienced before. And because we have fear of what we do not know and knowledge that we do not have, we've taught people in the church to coexist with mountains instead of removing mountains. We've called them to uh, endure mountains instead of transforming mountains in our life. And with this new movement of the glory of God, we will no longer endure or coexist with mountains. We will say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. We'll remove it or we'll transform it for the glory of God. And so this is the quest that we're on. This is the avenue that we're pursuing. This is the mandate that we have from the Father. And so in doing this, we must begin to beware of the trap. When you think of the, the medieval times and you'd send a group of soldiers out on a quest, as they would go off through the countryside, they would have to beware of, uh, of a couple things, and they would be called ambushes. They'd be called traps, that as they were riding along, the people would be hidden in the forest, and, and they would launch an attack on the quest that was going forward to try and stop them. And many times it wasn't to try and stop the quest. It was just because they were trying to steal from them. See, li listen, the enemy is not smart. He only knows what you tell him. So as you go on this quest, you may think he's trying to stop the glory of God in your life. He's just trying to stop you. He doesn't know why. But if he stops you, he stops the quest, whether that was his intention or not. So we must begin to move forward in, in, a, in a map that says, I'm going to move forward in a pursuit of God's glory, and I'm going to beware of the trap. And here's the trap. It's the trap of good versus greatness. It's the trap of experiencing a feeling that changed me, changes me in a worship service and experiencing the face of God that changed me for a lifetime. We must beware of the trap of being good and having a good service. Because a lot of times when something good's happening, we get excited about good and God says, don't stop at good because I haven't reached the level of great yet. And we fall into the trap and we get satisfied for good because it's better than you ever had. But if it's just better than you ever had, it may not be the best that he has. Come on. I can't say that again, okay? <laughs> we fall into these traps because 
we experience something good and it's better than we ever had. And so we stop at good when God says don't stop there because I got something even better than your good. I got something of my great. We've got to begin to grab hold of this and not be complacent with the trap. See, Israel fell into this same trap. We've talked about this in the last two messages. God wants to show you something, even show you himself. God wants to show you something, even show you himself. God wants you to encounter his presence because he has a gift for you. That gift is himself. And when you embrace himself, you get the authority to use his name. And so in this quest for God and reaching his glory, God doesn't want us to just give us things. He wants to give us himself. He wants to give us all of him, who he has, and everything about him. So the trap is this. Listen to this verse in Psalm 103, verse 7. Moses, the Bible says, Moses knew the ways of God. Israel only knew the acts of God. Mm, That should be heartbreaking. Everybody says, wow, the acts of God are so amazing. Yeah, but the acts of God are just good. Knowing his ways is great. It says, Israel, it says Moses knew the ways or the heart or the face of God is what that means. He knew the face of God. He knew about God. He knew God himself. Israel only knew his acts. And so many times churches are believing for miracles, signs, and wonders, and those things are all good. But if we get miracles, signs, and wonders, but don't get his face or him with it, we're missing it. And we've fallen into the trap. And even Jesus said this, even on that day, many of you will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and do miracles in your name and do all these things in your name? And he's going to say, you knew my acts, you didn't know my face. Come on, don't fall into the trap of acts. Don't fall into the trap of just getting something. See, I can come up to, I can come up to Steve and Laura and give them a gift and walk away and they could still never know me, but they got a gift, they got the act. And many of us are satisfied for the act and we don't want the fullness of the one who gives the gift to us. So I want to jump in here this morning and talk about this. I want to talk about steps getting into his presence, but not a process. Okay, I want to talk about steps of getting into his presence, but not making it a process. Deuteronomy 4, 15 and 16 says, Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, the mountain of God, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image, everybody say carved image, for yourselves in the form of any figure. There are steps to entering the presence of God, but we must be careful not to make it a religious process. Now, I got an example here this morning. Everybody, what is this? It is a basketball. There is nothing weird about this. It's simply a basketball, okay? And in this basketball, I'm not good at basketball, okay? I've never played in my life. So if I make a fool of myself up here trying to dribble a basketball, just go with it, okay? And so with this basketball, we can dribble it, and we're walking. We're taking steps to get to the right place, and you dribble with the purpose of shooting it when you get to the goal. Am I right? You dribble it with the purpose of moving down the court, of getting to a place that you've never been to. When you get to the, uh, a desired spot, you take your shot, And we walk with this basketball, and we know that this is the object of the game. If you hold this, you hold the power. If you hold this, you're the one who scores. If you hold this, you are the one who can dribble and make the shot and take the shot, even the game-winning shot, to win the championship. Am I right? It's a basketball. Without the basketball, there is no game. Correct? 
I mean, without a basketball, there is no game. And so what if we were all playing basketball? We had five-on-five going on a full-court game. We were all playing basketball, and suddenly the ball disappeared. And we all kept running around the court. Oh, yeah, and we're doing all this crazy stuff. See, I'm better without the ball. <laughs> and we do all this crazy stuff, and everybody's running around, and people are still cheering, and, but there's no ball. There's no ball. And everybody's acting like the game's still going on, but the object of the game is gone. See, this is what happens in our Christian walk many times. We make getting into the presence of God a process, not a step of faith. And after a while, we just see, keep thinking, I can live life horribly all week long, but when I show up to Sunday morning, if I do this just right, if I sing the right songs, if I come kneel and pray, the presence of God showed up last time and forgave me. Remember what we talked about, we need to move past forgiveness into holiness. But the presence of God showed up, and I was there, and I felt the presence of God and the glory of God in my life. But after a while, we think we can make walking into his presence a process and not a step of faith. And after a while we begin to just do it through the motions and literally in some of your lives the presence of God is gone and you're still doing the motions you're playing basketball with no ball you're trying to begin to get into the presence of God you think you're scoring and you don't even have something to shoot with We've made coming into the presence of God many times a process and we've fallen into the trap of the process and in the trap of the process What used to be a step of faith now has become a process. And in the process, it's meaningless manners or or things or steps taken that get you to a place. But if the presence of God doesn't show up in that place, what's the benefit of doing the process? That's why you need to approach the throne differently every time you walk into a service, every time you go into your quiet time. You need to make sure you're not going through a process. That's why some of you, after four months of getting up and reading your Bible every day, you just stopped getting something because it became a process, not a step. You must implement the steps every single time. Because a lot of us in our Christian walk, we wonder why the power of God doesn't show up, why the presence of God doesn't show up. It's because we're playing basketball with no ball. It's we've gotten to the point where I know what to do and what steps to take to get God to show up, and that's what we're going to do. And all the while, God, God says, you don't even got the ball. Do you understand the trap of the process? If Christianity is just something that you do, you're in a process. You're not taking steps of faith. Is the presence of God in your life measurable? Outside of your expression of a worship service on Sunday morning. If it's not, you may be in a process, not a step. We've got to avoid the trap of the process. Some of you have started attending this church and God has awakened you to some awesome and amazing things. You're like, wow, I've never heard these things before. I've never been in this. It's because you've been in a process. Coming to a new environment, you took a step. And you experienced something you've never experienced before. Us as leaders have got to be the most cautious, not a good word, aware of this. Because we think we can go through our normal routine on a weekly basis and the presence of God will just show up and we can make church just a process. <laughs> we got to be so careful of this or so aware of this, I'll, I'll say. Because careful literally means full of care and God said cast all your cares upon him. I'm clarifying why I'm changing my verbiage here. But we must be very aware and in tune 
It says, be alert. The devil prowls around you like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So we've got to be very aware during this, the, these steps of faith that it does not become a process. And as silly as it looks, now, now get this, as silly as it looks, with me dribbling around with no basketballs, running back and forth across stage with nothing, as silly as that looks, how silly does it look doing a process spiritually? And we see all these religious actions going on. All this religious mannerism going on. All these lifting of hands going on. And it's part of your process, not a step of faith. All these things going on. And if the presence isn't there, how silly does that look? We've got to be aware of this trap. Because this is how the enemy gets Christians uh, off the road into a ditch. And you wonder why you get stuck. It's because you never realized you went off the road. You never realized you went off the road. We've got to be aware of the trap. The trap of good versus great. The trap of are we in the presence of God or are we just doing religious acts to try and get the presence of God to show up. See, it wasn't the sinners that Jesus had issues with. And Jesus really didn't have issues with the Pharisee. He had issues with their religious actions. Okay, He didn't have an issue with how well they knew the law. He had an issue how well they knew it and weren't doing it. He had an issue with how great their, and vast their knowledge was, but it was a process to them, not a step of faith to them. That's why by the time Jesus showed up, there were 400 years of silence because there was just a process to the religious leaders. So for 400 years, God did not speak to the nation of Israel. His presence wasn't there, but yet they kept going through the same mannerisms, the same process with no presence. What is the difference between the 400 years silent before Jesus showed up and what Moses encountered on the mountain? Because when Moses took a step of faith, he was, he was taking a step of faith into the presence. When the Pharisees took a step, it was a step in the process. In your life, is it a process or is it a step? Many of us have at one time or another, and I'm guilty of this as anybody, uh, I've fallen into the trap of the process. And when I recognize that, I'm falling asleep at the wheel, for lack of a better term, and start running off into the ditch, I quickly pull myself out of it so I don't get stuck. You and your life, we've got to begin to embrace this the same. Don't make for yourself a carved image. What is the carved image that it's talking about? In their time, when the glory of God came on the mountain, he came in a cloud. And I believe he came in a cloud because they couldn't carve an image of a cloud and worship it. So he said, don't make a carved image. What is a carved image today? It's a process. It's a process. And it may not look like it did in the Old Testament like a golden calf, but your process is just as much a carved image because you've carved out a process of how you're going to get the presence of God to show up. And you worship that process. And you come to the altar because it's a process. And you stand up when we say stand up because it's a process. But we want it to be a step of faith in your life. That's transformational. That's revolutionary. That will encounter the glory of God. And so Deuteronomy 4, 15 and 16 says this. Therefore watch yourselves very carefully. See, I kind of did the scripture backwards because it got to get you to realize there's a process that you can fall victim to. And so now we can go back to the beginning. And he said, watch yourself very carefully. It didn't say, hey, call the pastor and have the pastor watch you carefully. It didn't say, call Keith, who's going to be doing our youth camp, and say, Keith, will you watch our kids very carefully? 
It didn't say that. It says you, yourself, watch your relationship with God very carefully that it doesn't become a carved image or a process. It needs to be a step of faith that's new each and every day. Come on now. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. No more processes. When when, When the Holy Spirit showed up in Acts... I don't know why he's not letting me off this point. Maybe it's important. (laughs) When the Holy Spirit showed up in Acts, it was something that had never been seen before. It was not a process. But it was still the same steps in the Old Testament. Because in Psalms, he says, my ministers will be of wind and of fire. When the Holy Spirit showed up at Pentecost, what happened? Wind and fire. It's still a step. The step can be the same, but when it becomes a process, it becomes religious mannerisms that that mess everything up. Don't miss it by looking at it. Don't miss him by looking at it. And I want to clarify this. Don't miss him by looking at it. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at the mountain of God in Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of any figure. And so upon that, in chapter 4, he goes on in chapter 5 to explain what he's talking about. In chapter 5, beginning in uh, verse number 4, I guess it is, it says, The Lord spoke with you, talking about Moses, face to face. Everybody say face to face. At the mountain, out of the midst of a fire. And listen, while I, Moses, stood between the Lord and the congregation of Israel at that time to declare the word of the Lord You were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. That that, that should be shattering to every believer. That there is the possibility that God is showing up in a way you can see it, and you not enter into it. God is showing up, and healings happen, miracles happen, His presence happens. More than that, He speaks to us face to face. Come on now. And some of us are afraid to get into it. And it says, so the Lord spoke with Moses face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire while he stood between the Lord and the people of that time to declare the word of the Lord. For you were afraid of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. Jump down to verse number 22. And it says, these words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, out of the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice. Everybody say loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote to them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness while on the mountain, uh, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. And, and, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. And this day we have seen God speak with man and man still lives. You ought to give a shout of praise right there. Now, therefore, now this is what the congregation is asking. Now, therefore, why should we die? See, they saw God speak to man face to face, and they said, why should we die? For this great fire will consume all of us. If we hear the voice of God, our God anymore, we shall all die. For, with, for who is there with all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? Go near, hear all that the Lord God will say to us, and you speak to us all that the Lord God will speak to you, and we will hear it and do it. Oh, goodness, that should be heartbreaking. The people of God, 
saw God descend on the mountain. They saw God speak with Moses face to face. And they said to themselves, why should we go up on the mountain with Moses and die? Moses, therefore, you go talk to God. And whatever God tells you, you tell us and we're going to do it. But we're not getting in the presence of God. We've got to be careful in this trap that we don't miss him by looking at it. What do I mean by that? The people were mesmerized by the fire that inhabited the mountain. And they were so mesmerized by the fire they missed his face. They were so mesmerized by the way God came down on the mountain and fear overtook them. They were so mesmerized by the fire they missed his face. They were mesmerized by the thick cloud. They were mesmerized by the loud voice. They were mesmerized by the amazing way God was moving that they had never seen him move before. Because remember, they were coming out of captivity in Egypt. They were mesmerized by all these amazing things. And they were so awestruck by him, they missed his face. The trap of, oh God, we see how good you are on this mountain. But we're missing your face because we're mesmerized by the fire. On the quest for his presence, we cannot be so mesmerized. By a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. And listen to me on this. Miracles, signs, and wonders are good things. They're good things. I mean, if he's in a wheelchair and got up and walked, how many of you can say that's a good thing? If she's blind and now begins to see, I mean, that's a, that's a good thing. If her heart is broken and now it's healed, that's a good thing. If they didn't have the favor of God and now they got the favor of God, that's a good thing. But we can't be so mesmerized by the good thing that we miss his face. Because sometimes God can be so good and so generous and a gift so apparent that the church begins to be fixated on gifts and we're missing his face. Oh God, help us that when the day happens, that massive physical transformations happen and healings take place at record numbers throughout this church and they're happening. They're happening. I mean, cancer's being healed. We have testimonies of this. God forgive us if we get so caught up in the gifts of the Spirit, we miss the Spirit in the face of God Himself. Oh Lord, help us not be mesmerized by what you do, your acts. Let us be mesmerized by your ways because we know you. We cannot fall into the trap of the good things of God and miss Himself in the process. We cannot be that type of church. Because when the Spirit of God begins to be poured out in unprecedented ways, at unprecedented levels, in unprecedented times, we must begin to hold true to the one who's pouring it out, not what's being poured out. Come on, somebody better grab a hold of that. At camp this week, something's going to get poured out, and I hope they grab onto who's pouring it out, not what's getting poured out. At kids camp this week, something's fixing to get poured out, and I hope the kids grab onto who's pouring it out, not what's getting poured out. And when God begins to pour out on your life, make sure you're not looking down at what's being poured out, but look up at the one who's pouring it. Because if we don't, we will fall into a trap and we'll get accustomed to the, to the religious movements that go on, even miracles, signs, and wonders. And the one day when it doesn't show up and we say, well, what happened? I guess the presence of God didn't show up. It's because we've been playing basketball with no ball. It's because we've been looking for what's been given, not the one who's giving it. We found the acts of God, but we missed his face. Lord, help us never to miss your face. Now listen, for the lost people... For the brokenhearted, for the ones who need a touch from God, I want them to get something from his hand. And, and a lot of people say, oh, don't, don't, don't get it from his hand, but miss his face. And that's true. But sometimes you got to get them to his hands first so they can get, look up to see his face. 
okay? So I'm not saying there's something bad what's being given from the hands. And even when Jesus fed the 5,000, he said, feed them all so then they'll know I'm God. He said, when you give them fish, I'm going to declare my name and they'll look up and see my face. Because it says right after that, they wanted to make him king. Right? And so there's nothing bad coming from his hands. You just got to understand that what's coming from his hands is only meant as an avenue for you to look up and see his face. But even Joel is guilty of a kid at Christmas time. When, when, when I was a kid at Christmas time and you got the, the G.I. Joe gift that you wanted, I didn't look at my parents' face and tell them thank you. I looked at the gift because I was mesmerized by it. See, I got the gift, but did I know the givers of it? We cannot be guilty of falling into the trap of being mesmerized by all the good things of God and missing his face. When we arrive at the point of, of the presence of God showing up, we got to ask ourselves, have we arrived or did we? Have we arrived to where God's called us to be or did, did we? Are, are we there yet? Arriving or did I? Exodus 33 verses 1, 2, 3, it says, 1, 2, and 3, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, and you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give you this land. I will send an angel before you, Moses, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds awesome. When God's about to give you every desire of your heart, and he's going to say, everybody say, I receive it. Some of y'all have got to get out of your religion and, and, and really believe God wants to pour a blessing out on your life. Come on. You ain't got to work for it. You're not striving after it. You don't have to do penance to get back in good with it. His grace already covered it. Come on. <laughs> Somebody grab that. You, you got to get there. God's got a day when he's about to pour every desire of your heart out on you because he loves you. He, we, we studied this in series one of the year. Son, I love you and all that I have is yours. <laughs> There's a day he's pouring it out. And on that day, you're going to think you arrived. And the blessings of God are great. But listen to how Moses responded to this text from God. He said, go Moses and I'm going to send you into the promised land. I'm going to drive out the inhabitants and I'm going to have an angel lead you there. And this is Moses' response in verse 15. If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up, do not lead us up from here. If your presence, God, does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. See, Moses knew that having God in the wilderness was better than the promised land with no God. Come on. Moses knew this. Because he had talked to God face to face. Moses knew that the wilderness with the presence of God face to face was better than the promised land without God's presence at all. And listen, this is what God said. He said, Moses, I'm bringing you to the promised land. It's everything that I promised. I'm even going to give an angel, my angel, to lead you. Moses said, that ain't good enough. If your presence does not go, I am not leaving this place. 
See, Moses was not falling into the trap of all the good things of the promised land because he knew the good things of the promised land without the presence of the Father. The promised land would quickly, as it did, become a slave nation again, just like Egypt was. In fact, it would become worse because they were in the place that God brought them, a place that was supposed to be blessing and promise, but now they become enslaved in their own land, not even a foreign land, so they know that they couldn't even get out of this land now. Come on. Lord Jesus, let us get this. See, see, it was one thing when God brought them out of slavery, out of Egypt, to the promised land. But when you become a slave in your own land, you have no escape. And I'll tell you, some of you have fallen into this trap. God has blessed your life with great uh, blessings financially, great blessings in every way. And, 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 and we've missed his presence because we've grabbed his things. And the very thing that God brought us to and was promised to us and is his promised land has become a curse in our life. Because we, we went into it without his presence. Well, then why did God lead us to the promised land and say that? Because he wanted you to take him with you into the promised land. And Israel, their nation, their own homeland to them, soon became worse than Egypt. Because Joshua stands up at the end of this book and he says, Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether you serve the gods of your forefathers from beyond the river in Egypt. Or you serve the God that I serve. And as for me and my household... We will serve the Lord. See, there was a civil war going on in, in, in Israel, and they, and, and they knew it, but they really didn't know it. There's a civil war going on in America, and we don't even realize it. We don't even realize it. And my question to you is this. With all the blessings that this great nation has, have we made it a nation where we are enslaved because we've walked into the promises, but we didn't bring the presence In your personal life, have you walked into the promises but left the presence? Moses knew this, that the presence of God in the wilderness was greater and more beneficial and desired it more than the promised land of God without his presence. On this quest for his glory, we must be very aware that as God begins to show up in unprecedented ways, that we don't look at what is showing up. We make sure we stay focused on who is showing up. And that is the Father. Because the minute we get focused on the things going on, we miss His face. And if we miss His face, we miss the purpose of the whole quest. If we miss His face, we miss the purpose of the whole quest. Because the purpose of His glory is to get to His face. And when we see his face and he speaks to us face to face, then we'll know and behold the fullness of God.